The 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kvec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911. This town is a lonely town, not the only Wow, that's a Frank Sinatra song I don't know. That's, that's good. Everybody, welcome back to the Dave Conklin program on News Talk 920 KVEC. This is Gary J. Freiberg sitting in with uh, for Dave, and it's certainly my privilege. And thank you for being here, and I hope that you've had a good day. Getting ready to join us is Sean Rand, and Sean is the son of Sally Rand. And I'm going to take 30 seconds here in case you're not familiar who Sally Rand was. She was a trailblazer for women's... I'm going to say sensuality. She, from around the 1920s, for decades, uh, was a burlesque star during prudish times in America. She was known for her ostrich feather dance and her ballroom bubble dance. She was a star of the stage, uh, a silent film actress. I went to high school with Sean, and it's my pleasure to welcome Sean Rand to the Dave Conglis Show on AM 920 KBC. Sean, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Gary. Uh, it uh, is just fascinating uh, uh, about your mom, and um, she really she was a trailblazer with uh, with with uh, what she was doing back then when when uh, you know women were wearing long sleeves and high collared blouses. Your mom wasn't. Um, no. she was the world's most famous fan dancer. She was born in 1904, I read, in a small Missouri town. How did she come from that? How did she get her start? She got her start in interest in uh, basically uh, dancing. And she uh, seemed to like the ballerina part. And she was taken by uh, an aunt named Lucy Wilson, who wasn't really a a true aunt, but had been kind of an adopted aunt because uh, she was uh, a friend of um, my grandmother, Mary Kissling, who at the time was uh, Mary Grove and had been Barry, Barry Beck with her first husband. But uh, So anyway, Lucy Wilson takes uh, my mother and takes her to see the famous ballerina Anna Pavlova in Kansas City. And uh, that's what started it and she saw that and she just thought you know I want to be a dancer Um, interesting and and uh, there was a young man that was uh, on earlier uh, who's uh, a guitar tech that has been with Stevie Wonder and Rod Stewart and and lots of other big names and he you know it's just interesting to he was 15 when he started it's just interesting to see when people find their passion uh how how it just can ignite her how old was she when she started her 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 perhaps her dance and her acting career well um from that she was uh, obviously a, a pretty young girl like uh, under 10 years old when she uh, saw Anna Pavlova and then uh, from that uh, she actually left home unbelievable at the, for the time period I guess and her age and she was about 15 just a little over 15 between 15 and 16 and she took off and she went to New York 
and uh, left home totally, uh, really with no real formal education or anything like that, and uh, got into show business in New York and got with the, the Ziegfeld Follies there and uh, actually uh, got in the chorus line and started dancing and turned out to be another uh, later a woman that she met back there by the name of Dorothy Duell, who became Dorothy Rubell, who's... Uh, oh, my gosh, famous- really? Yeah, Dorothy Rubell is the mother of Michael Rubell, who built the famous castle in Glendora. And anyway, they were best friends from back then, and they both worked for Ziegfeld. And, uh, of course, then their lives met up many times, and they became long, lifelong friends. And um, they both lived in Glendora, which is kind of ironic, because when they um, later, uh, Dorothy had moved there and my grandmother contacted my mother and said you never know who guess guess who came in and married our pastor it's your friend dorothy and she married uh, heinz rubel who was the pastor of grace episcopal church in glendora that is really amazing that uh, uh that they they went back that far and then their paths crossed again sean i want to mention real quickly for our listeners if you did just help want to push those radio buttons and join us on the dave congleton program on news talk 920 kbc our guest is sean ran and sean is the son of sally ran who from the 1920s on she changed things. She, yeah, she really changed it. And so it's, it's, it's interesting, Sean, to learn that she went out on her own as a young teenage girl, left home and, uh, and, and followed to New York. Was she always feisty even in her later oh, years? Yeah, she was. I mean, her, um, and I think she, you know, she took it from her, her father who was actually uh, later, I mean, he became a colonel in the Army, and he was Colonel William F. Beck. But uh, when he was younger, he was part of Teddy Roosevelt's Rough Riders, and he became uh, a very good friend over the time of Teddy Roosevelt. And when she was my mother, when she was four years old, she always told me the story how she went to, in Kansas City to with her dad to meet Theodore Roosevelt, who was again running for president, and he wanted support from some of his old colleagues in that area. And she went with him, and she sat on Roosevelt's lap, and she described that he wore a tweed suit, smoked, uh, you know, pipe, and uh, she remembers all those smells, and she fell asleep, actually, on Theodore's lap. Oh, my gosh. Well, and we're going to make our way toward this. Uh, her life crossed the paths of of many famous, iconic uh, people in the in the uh, uh, history of uh, of America. Um, she was born Helen Gould Beck, and so how did her name change to Sally Rand? Okay, so uh, obviously she got back in New York, and she was working there, and she eventually worked her way out to Hollywood, and she connected with the director, Cecil B. DeMille, and uh, she was working for him out of um, living in bungalows on his in studios, his lots, and uh, he ID'd that she was destined in his mind to go on to greater fame and be a star, and he basically told her, 
uh, Billy Beck is what she kind of went by in the stage name. And her father was William Beck. And so she picked the name, thought it would be catchy, Billy Beck. And that was what her chorus girl name was. And then uh, he, uh, DeMille, uh, was with her and he said, you're going to be a star. Uh, Billy Beck is not a good name. And uh, you need, uh, you know, you need a more stately name. And uh, he walked by, ran McNally Maps, and ran his hand across it, she said. And he goes, there you go. Your last name will be Rand. He said, it's already a world-famous name. And uh, he said, I want you to pick a first name to go with it. And she went on the name of Sally strictly by looks. She said, I figured I need something that's going to be up in lights, something that's catchy. She said, I have a big S. I have two uppercase L's, I have a lowercase Y, it has a nice flow to it, and that's how she got Sally Rand. And Sally Rand was born. Interesting, very interesting. Sean, we got to take a quick break. Everybody, you're listening to the Dave Congleton program on News Talk 920 KBC. This is Gary J. Freiberg sitting in for Dave, and with us is Sean Rand, his uh, son of... of now Sally ran, and we've got lots of ground to cover. Very, very interesting story. We'll just be gone a couple minutes. Stay here. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to the Dave Conlon program on News Talk 920 KBC. We have Sean Ram, uh, son of Sally Ram, and we're going to jump right in, but I have to tell you, I am so darn excited. A listener, uh, when we were did the, talking about the, uh, the uh, rain victims, um, has offered to donate $1,000. So thank you to you for doing that. I, I'm just ecstatic, but thank you very, very much. All right, Sean, we're talking about uh, your mom, Sally Ran, and, uh, you know, I, I, I want your opinion on this. I view her, I mean, she's in the 20s, and by the time that she moves into, uh, let me rephrase that a little bit, around what year did she move into burlesque? Uh, she well, she went in. Basically, you could say she became a showgirl there in the twenties, and so you're working in burlesque a lot of times when you're on stage as a showgirl. And uh, from that, it, she kind of really evolved um, more into the her own self as a the fan dancer uh, when uh, the depression hit, and uh, it was tough times and remember she had been out in Hollywood working for the mill and she had been in silent movies and uh, it was just going south everywhere and so she took off and went to Chicago because there was talk of a World's Fair starting up there so in the 1932 range she went to Chicago she dreamed up this uh, fan dance and the fan dance is a symbol of her childhood in Missouri over the, the Ozarks there. Uh, and the fan symbolized the white heron bird. And the dance is flying over a moonlit lake. And uh, she eventually picked up uh, Debussy's Claire de Lune as the music that would go to the dance. And so she started performing this dance in the Chicago speakeasies in uh, roughly 1932 in there. And, of course, the fair didn't start until 33. And, you know, if you want me to go on, that, you know, it evolved into the fair and the fan dance. And she uh, 
worked at the fair on a concession area called the Streets of Paris, and she was working as a showgirl, but she was doing her fan dance in the speakeasy at night, and the fan dance hadn't really been uh, produced out to the world, only to the people that uh, traveled to the speakeasy. Mm-hmm. Wow, you just—I <laughs> have all my questions laid out, but you're, this is just such great, uh, great information. And I do want to mention because I did it. You can go on YouTube, and there is a clip. I think it's from 1942 uh, with Sally Rand doing her uh, her dance with the ostrich feathers, and it is so graceful and sensual. And she's beautiful. And uh, do you think, do you perceive that she played a role in steps of women's liberation, of feminism, by uh, by doing what she did? Do you see it that way? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, she basically, of course, it goes back to the World's Fair where she cracked the code there, I guess. Uh, you know, she was uh, thinking the fair was tanking. It wasn't doing well. Depression. And Franklin Roosevelt was so sure her connection with not only Teddy Roosevelt, but Franklin Roosevelt. And Franklin Roosevelt then was supposed to come in and kick off more to get the fair going. And uh, she thought to herself, well, this is a a good opportunity. I'm already working in the fairgrounds at at the streets of Paris. And she said, uh, well, I went out. She got herself a horse uh, named Mike a paint horse, and she took him on a barge and brought him over through Soldier's Field into the fairgrounds. And she thought, they won't stop me because anybody coming in with a horse must be an act or whatever. And they didn't, and she went on in. She'd already staged some clothes down at the other end of the midway, and uh, she got on at the beginning of the midway, uh, got on her horse, took all her clothes off, did a Lady Godiva act, had long hair, and she rode straight down the midway oh where she was followed by lots of people. She went in, finished the ride, got in back, put her clothes on, went home, and her girlfriend started calling her and telling her, have you seen the papers? You're on every Los Angeles, Chicago, and New York. You're on all the big towns. You're on every paper in the United States. Oh. And so then, uh, you know, Roosevelt came later, Everybody said, well, he's only the president of the United States. Uh, we're not too interested in him. We want to know where that, who the girl is and where she went, the girl on the horse. And so that's what really jump-started even more so of her, what turned out to be her main career, the fan dance. Yes. And did she create that? Did she, have, did she work with a choreographer? or, or... No, she did. Like I said, she dreamed that up. She, you know, she was really multi-talented in many ways, and uh, she dreamed this up that, you know, I was a girl in back in the Ozarks, and I used to watch the the white herons fly over the lake, and it was, you know, just basically a symphony to her. And then later, like I said, she had to, you know, she picked her own music to right. to go with. It. That was Claire de Lune. Uh, but that was the uh, that was the in- inspiration. I mean, because it, right. it, yeah, yeah. That's the that's bird, the birds were the inspiration. <laughs> wow, that is so interesting. Because uh, in what I saw on YouTube, just the look on her face is so peaceful, and her movements are so graceful. Um, 
And in some cases, I know in some cases she was nude, but in other cases, the nudity was an illusion, right? Well, she wore a body stocking at times, but for the most part, you know, she didn't really have anything on. She wore the the famous part that most showgirls wore called the G-string, and uh, that was about it. And uh, the, uh, you know, basically you covered up your private part, and that, that was it. And uh, she wore the dress, and the dress was on at the beginning of the dance, and it was on for about midway through the dance, and then she would go close to the curtains, and a person staged there would, uh, without trying to let their hands be seen, as she got close to the curtains, just get a hold of the dress, and she walked away from the dress. The dress was uh, a chiffon, chiffon and uh, very sheer, and... Uh, was anchored down by some fishing weights over the straps that went over your shoulders so that as you walked away and and I did that many times was the one that, that held the dress and she walked away from it but the uh, key then was not to let the fishing weights clunk on the floor So you know, and then all of a sudden people are looking and all of a sudden they go I don't think she has the dress anymore and her always her saying was, the rand is quicker than the eye. And then, <laughs> and then at the, the end, uh, she basically would, uh, you know, go up the stairs and then turn around and then kind of turn side shot and then lift the fans in the air. And, of course, then you could see more straight on that she didn't have anything on. Yes, and now she would be behind a screen, and so we're seeing her behind a screen, at least what I saw on YouTube. Right, and, and of course the, the fair uh, was 33, but in 34 she was asked back because she was given credit for saving the fair and turning it around. She was the one that was instrumental in saving the World's Fair. Uh-huh. But in 34, she said, well, I'm going to come back again, but going to do the fan dance, but I have want to have... Yeah, an, an encore, and so she developed the bubble dance, and she did that one in Chopin's Waltz in C minor, and the bubble dance was uh, basically a weather balloon that was about one uh, is blowing up. It's probably about seven foot tall, and you got to remember she's only five foot tall. Yes. And Sean, she hang- I, I need to come back to that. We need to take uh, our break, and I don't want to interrupt you, but I want to come back about the bubble dance. Everyone, we are talking with Sean Rand. His mother was Sally Rand. You can check out her dances on YouTube. Just fascinating. Uh, we need to take a break. Everyone, you're listening to News Talk 920 KVC, the Dave Conglin Program. This is Gary J. Freiberg. Stay with us. We've got a lot of good ground to cover. We'll be right back. Slow down. Slow down. You got to wait for that music. Oh, okay. I'm Remember? sorry. I'm sorry. You said 10 seconds. This is Gary J. News Talk 920 KBC. Stay here just for a couple minutes. We'll be right back.
All right, welcome back to the Dave Conklin Program on News Talk 920 KVC. This is Gary J. Freiburg sitting in for Dave. And with us is our guest, Sean Rand. Sean's uh, mother, Sally Rand. I hope that you've been here for the last half hour. Just incredible. And I've got so many places. Anyway, Sean, tell us about the bubble dance. What was that? Okay, so the bubble dance was developed for the World's Fair for 1934. And uh, that was an encore from the fan dance, which was, you know, preceded in 33. But she did continue to do both dances in 34. But the bubble dance, like you say, was a weather balloon, about seven foot tall. And she was five foot tall. And she was behind the screen because of the fact that people threw pins and cigarettes and things like that, trying to pop the bubble, of course. <laughs> and you would, you would see her, and she'd had no clothes and she would be behind the uh bubble and obviously transparent and so you could make out uh the in- image behind the bubble there and then she would float the bubble in the air swing it around by holding on to it and and doing uh you know acrobatic dances with the bubble hmm. that's so original i mean uh, you know the fact that she's nude is one thing but the way that she was able to so gracefully do it and and i haven't seen the bubble dance i saw the the uh, the fan dance and i do want to mention one that you can see sally Rand do her dance it's such a sensuous uh, and she's beautiful. It's just really amazing uh, on YouTube. Um, and also there is a book. There's several books, but uh, Sean was part of It's Barefoot to the Chin and Jim Lowe, L-O-W-E. Sean, I'm remembering correctly, right? Jim Lowe? That's very correct. Yeah. Uh, Jim Lowe is the author. And of course, it's available on on Amazon and, um, you know, all the usual places. And that's called Barefoot to the Chin. Uh John, I want to rewind just a little bit. You mentioned um, about your mother's um, uh, work in Chicago in the speakeasy, and I think Al Capone. Was she any part of that? Did she ever meet him or anything like that? Yes, she did. And uh, like I say, she was working the speakeasy, and uh, basically to get the fans, which were expensive. These are ostrich feather fans and uh, very expensive and uh, and especially for the time period. And uh, to get those, she wouldn't have been able to get those, but she was, or afford those. And uh, some of her girlfriends were uh, girlfriends of gangsters who, uh, she said, one of them hawked a ring to get the fans uh, in the first place. And then she went on from there. And eventually, while she was performing at the club, uh, Two of Al Capone's uh, gangsters came up and approached her and after the show and said, uh, we want to speak to you. And uh, Mr. Capone is in a back room and he wants you to come and see him. So she went with him. Uh, she was face to face. You know, you've got a girl that was uh, about 27 at tops to 28 years old and uh He's standing in front of the most famous gangster, and he says, you no longer uh, work here. I purchased your contract. You'll be at my place tomorrow night. And because of her good acting abilities, she said, I looked him straight in the eye and said, see you tomorrow night, and uh, went on her way. He said, I had no intention of going there, but I was not going to make a scene. 
and so she said, I went home, packed up everything, got on a plane to New York. She said, I'll just blend in with the New York gang world. And uh, I don't think Capone will cross the other gang. And he never did. And she said, for insurance, I contacted Elliot Ness. No kidding. To protect her on what had happened with Al Capone. Right. Well, because the impression that I have is that she was one feisty, don't give me any guff young lady. And and so she wasn't going to take it even from the likes of Al Capone. Did she ever get arrested? Oh, yeah. She got arrested many times. Um, several in the state of Nebraska had uh, some higher standards there, and they arrested her and put her behind, uh, you know, bars. And uh, she managed to get herself out. And in one of the cases, uh, the judge said, well, you know, I can't really make a call on this, and I'm going to have to see this dance myself. And so he went. And she went, I guess, in, in private quarters uh, with the judge and probably a few lawyers or whatever. And they uh, stood there and watched, and she performed the dance. And the judge said, I don't see anything wrong with it. And he let it go. And so she got out on one of the occasions. <laughs> well, good for him, because, you know, the impression is, is that it was a pretty, pretty prudent time at that time. Right. So did she leave behind uh, journals? I mean, do you have uh, things that she wrote, her recollections of her of her life? Well, there was numerous, not really wouldn't say journals, but there was um, a lot of uh, family letters and paperwork and, you know, the, a lot of things that she had told personally to me because obviously I wasn't alive when she was doing these originally. And then, of course, I witnessed many things from the, the 50s on, late 50s in there. I was with her and witnessed many things that did happen. But uh, she had some uh, tremendous scrapbooks that were put together by a former classmate of hers named Ralph Hobart and uh, from Kansas City, Missouri. And uh, I went to Little Greenlee School, and uh, he was kind of with her through that period of time, and he put together clippings out of all the papers and put together basically volumes of, you know, black and white photos and all the articles from the paper. And it was about, uh, about 17, 18 volumes of these. And these are good-sized scrapbooks. I mean, they're not little. And you have those, I assume. Oh, yeah, I have those. Uh, he saved them a few times. They were in a barn that was destroyed or the roof kind of caved in and she was able to go in and get them out of there before they got destroyed in water or anything like that. So, uh-huh. yeah, I do have those and those were used in the uh, helping to, you know, coordinate a lot of the information in the book. And you know, Jim Lowe and his assistants, uh, especially Bonnie Egan, uh, came to the house and did a lot of scanning. And, of course, there's a lot of things out in the world on her. And, uh, but, you know, his, his biggest find, obviously, was finding her personal files and uh, being able to connect and getting some, some stories there. 
Yes. And I do want to mention, in case you did just so happen to join us here on News Talk 920 KVC, the Dave Congleton Show. This is Dave, Gary J. Freiburg sitting in. And our guest is Sean Rand. His mom was Sally Rand, uh, who started in the 20s um, as a young girl. She was born in uh, 1904, so she was a young girl. She left for New York on her own and um, turned herself into a, a world-famous person. We need to take a quick break, Sean, and when we come back, I want to find out what your first recollection was that that your mom was a somebody. Everybody, once again, you're on News Talk 920 KBC, Dave Conklin Show. Just hang for a couple minutes. We're going to be right back. Good song. Good song, Craig. Way to go. Everybody, welcome back to News Talk 920 KVC and also 96.5 FM. This is Gary J. Freiburg sitting in uh, for Dave. And with us is our guest, Sean Rand. His mom was Sally Rand, um, who in the very early life, she was 15 or something, she left home and in Missouri and went on to become a the world's most famous fan dancer. And Sean, um, you were uh, obviously a, a kid. When did you realize that your that your mom was uh, a celebrity? Well, uh, I would say probably in the uh, mid uh, to late 50s. Uh, you know, a little unusual. You're traveling all the time and you're running into different personalities in show business to sports. Um, and uh, so, you know, I kind of said, well, this is a little different. I was uh, always a, uh, a baseball fan, and uh, I found out that uh, being from Kansas City, Missouri, the famous baseball player and manager named Casey Stengel had been a very good friend of my mother's, and he lived out in Glendale, California. And um, so uh, when I found that out, uh, she said that that one day, she said, you know, I found out in life I didn't really arrive with my son until he found out I knew Casey Stingle. (laughs) And so he said, uh, well, we'll have to meet him. And so eventually, you know, we met him and he he took us out to when he was manager of the New York Mets. uh, He met us uh, at Dodger Stadium. And then I got to meet and, and speak with him as well. But uh, she'd always told me, you know, Casey, uh, you know, it's not his real name. His real name is Charles. And oh. uh, he, he was from Kansas City. And we called him K period, C period, Stingle, A.C. Stingle, as he was, uh, you know, a very good ball player. And uh, anyway, uh, it changed from that to the C-A-S-E-Y. And, uh, of course, everybody knows he went on to be a very famous manager and was known as the old professor of baseball. But they had a, a very long relationship and career over the years in, in being out here. And I have photos of her when she met him later with the Mets. He was in the Astrodome in Houston, and she went down on the field. And, you know, she'd get an autograph ball for him, from him for me or, and that. So that was it. And then, of course, around a lot of other famous people in the show business world. And, you know, one day I got on the road with her and I just said, you know, can't we go home and get around some, some normal people. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, you just had to put up with uh, meeting uh, Casey Stengel and, and not to go on and on about this, but throw out another name and another story in this realm. Well, uh, 
I'm thinking about, um, well, it was another baseball player by the name of Lefty O'Doul. Uh-huh. And if he has never really studied Lefty O'Doul, he is the one that basically took baseball to Japan and was the ambassador for baseball to Japan, and everybody knows there are huge baseball fans. But in uh, 1965, we're in San Francisco, and uh, he, you know, we wanted to go out to Candlestick Park, and uh, a friend of Gary's and mine named Tom Warner, uh, high school baseball player with me, and we went to Candlestick Park, saw the game, and uh, prior to that, uh, she got us to be able to go down to O'Doul's in San Francisco, his yeah. restaurant. And uh, I was inside with Lefty, and he was showing me all his memorabilia. And up until recently, he held the uh, um, major league hit record, 254 hits in a year. And uh, he showed me the bat and the flat side of the bat where he just hit the ball all the time. And anyway, he uh, from that, uh, he said, well, we're going to wait here, and Joe DiMaggio is going to come, and we're going to play golf together. And so Tom go out and stand in this one spot, and Joe DiMaggio will pull up here, and don't let anybody else park here except DiMaggio, and he will be in a gray, uh, I think a silver gray uh, Chevy Impala. And uh, so you'd see him, and so, you know, when we went outside, because we alerted he was there, uh, the door was open. DiMaggio was in the seat. Tom was on the passenger side looking into the door. Tom was totally speechless. <laughs> and he was in front of uh, such a famous baseball player. And uh, O'Doul came with me, and we went out, and they said, well, we're going to golf. Here's your tickets. You know, you guys are all set. You're going to go to Candlestick Park and see the game, which turned out to be an unbelievably famous game and one of the most famous games in the history of baseball in the way of fights because that was the day that uh, Juan Marichal oh. clubbed the manager, uh, the catcher of the Dodgers, Johnny Roseboro, oh. over the head. Oh. It's listed as huge in the baseball fight. Oh. Probably the most famous fight. Yes. And that was the day of all the games. Huh. Well, so wow, okay. Um, it just it exposed you to a, a, a lot, and and I'm interested when you said that you were out traveling around and you kind of just wanted to be back and be around quote unquote uh, normal people. Did you did you have um, you know other difficulties um, with the fact that that your mom was a celebrity and and most famous fan dancer in, in the world? No, I didn't really seem to have too many uh, uh, problems with that. Or, you know, I would see the you know, notoriety. People would notice her that when we'd be out, and, of course, some would come up and talk to her, and some would do the normal and just more respectful and walk on by. But, uh, but no, she, you know, people knew her, and uh, they would come up, offer, uh, you know, uh-huh. get an autograph. Yes. And, uh in the nightclubs, that was probably one of the most amazing ones, is that she'd finish a dance, and people would line up, I'm not kidding you, for a couple hours in line waiting to have an autograph, and she would always give an autograph. And she had her own little cards and uh, uh-huh. a picture of her with the fans, and uh, she would uh, just sign it, you know, your fan, Sally Rand, or to whoever they wanted it to. Right. You know, sign it to my aunt and whatever. Right. And she 
you sometimes had a little feather with a sticker on it and put it over the part that would be her body, nude body, and it would say, I think this covers the situation. <laughs> so she had a she had a, a nice nice sense of humor as well. I want to mention oh, yeah. yeah I want to mention that we're talking with uh, Sean Rand. His mom was Sally Rand, and you can see the things that we're talking about the fan dance on YouTube. I checked it out today. I think it was from uh, 1942. And there's also a book Barefoot to the Chin by Jim Lowe, and that's available on on Amazon and and elsewhere. I want to get a a little picture of of behind the scenes. Did she like to reminisce a lot? Oh, yeah, yeah. She was, uh, you know, being an actress, I guess, is one way to look at it, but she was a very down-to-earth person, and she could be, you know, people would see her in the town of Glendora, and they'd see her wherever, and they'd say she'd be very glamorous, but then in in town, not so glamorous, uh, you know, just barefoot sometimes going downtown or, you know, going into a store and, uh, you know, hair not done, no makeup or whatever, and just go in and, you know, but she would talk to people. And, you know, she was from the Ozarks in Kansas City. And when she'd visit back to the people back there, you know, that was one of the things I always liked about her because she could be just plain everyday person. And then she could turn around and put on the the glitz and the glamour and everything. And so Uh she was a, a real person. Yes. Yeah. And and I was that's what I was getting at when the door closed on the world. uh, You know, she was your mom and and uh, and, you know, just you had to have have a normal life, make dinner, eat dinner, do the thing. Yeah. 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 It was a good cook. Yeah. Yeah. He enjoyed doing that when she, you know, had the time and she basically was on the road 40 weeks out of the year and the other time was at home. Wow, and uh, Glendora uh, back in in at that time had about thirty thousand people, but it was a small town. Uh, you know the the little downtown area that's now called as the village, which is still very very nice. Um, it's it's a nice town, but uh, certainly away from Hollywood and and all of that uh, that type of experience. Right. Yeah. Very different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, were there other ways that she demonstrated her her free spirit? Yeah. I mean, I you know, all the time, you know, she spoke her mind and, you know, she would always basically I think she was a lot. And I want to use this wording that she said. She said, I've uh, lived a long time. I'm 44 years older than you. And she said, I'm old enough to be your friends, mom and dad's mom and dad, or mother. And she'd say, uh, so I've experienced many things that they haven't even experienced. And she said, so with that, she said, I want you to use me and read me like a book. And uh, and she she would say that to the general public or to you? I'm not clear. To me. You know, and then she would always... Uh, she would expose me to many things in the world that probably a lot of parents wouldn't do because she wanted me to be aware of these things, bad or good, out there that, uh, you know, be careful of this. And, you know, she knew being 44 years older that she was going to depart, you know, way earlier than most parents with their child. 
and uh, she wanted to, you know, just leave me little uh, things to. Uh, it's like like, right. like clues trail, like bending a leaf and leaving it so you know which way they went. You know that uh-huh. type of thing. Uh huh. Well, good. And she, um, I mean, that's that's really good stuff because she wanted she wanted to for you to be prepared. She was very very worldly. My gosh, uh, if she left home when she was fifteen um, during the depression, she hustled. And, oh yeah, and and created a persona for herself, and I and I think that that is such an interesting aspect uh, of of her story that um, you know that that she did it on her own, and and she had to find a way. And riding nude down the street of the world, the World's Fair in Chicago in 1932, she's about 28 years old. That would get attention today, and then she'd probably get get in more trouble today than she did back then. Everybody, it's been, Sean, it's been such a joy uh, talking with you and learning about uh, these things about your mom, Sally Rand. Everybody, the the book about Sally Rand is Barefoot to the Chin. That's one of them. You can uh, check out the YouTube videos and see her her dance and just uh, what we've been talking about on, on just how how central it was. It's, it's, it is really amazing, particularly uh, in, in the year that it was. So I appreciate you being here. Once again, we've got the Diggin' Deep concert Sunday at the Los Osos uh, Community Center on Palisades. It's Sunday. Doors open 11 6 uh, at 11.30. Goes man start from uh, 12 to 6. Um, you can see detail and support Los Osos. Okay, we're listening. Goodbye. Take care. News Talk 920 KBC. Dave Conlon Program. Gary J. Freiberg. Thank you. The 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kvec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911.